It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get A through it. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, um, an interesting one. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the pandemic, but we're also going to talk in the third half of our three-hour tour with Dr. Daniel Kinderlehrer, who has uh, um, written a book called Recovery from Lyme Disease. Uh, During the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with the author, uh, Dr. Richard Gunderman. He's uh, a doctor and historian. He's written a book called Contagion, Plagues, Pandemics, and Cures from the Black Death to COVID-19 and Beyond. And uh, we're going to start our conversation about uh, the impact of the pandemic um, on the workplace in uh, various aspects. Of course, uh, it's been just pretty much a year to the day since we first started hearing about COVID-19, and then things changed, and we're going to find out if they changed forever with my uh, guest this hour, who is the CEO of global marketing agency Accelerated Partners. He is a won many awards. He's one of the uh, foremost experts on workplace productivity and well-being, and he uh, joins me by phone, Robert Glazer. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, it was uh, just a year ago, and and yeah. uh, <laughs> everything started. I mean, it's actually kind of the anniversary uh, of the beginning of uh, of the COVID crisis, um, today, as as we speak, and the president's going to be talking about that tonight. But I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the impact of the pandemic on 
the workplace. Obviously, it changed short term, but has it changed forever? What does it look like in a post-pandemic world? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing in, in a lot of areas of our economy is that what the pandemic did was just accelerate trends that were already underway, possibly five years I'm or glad 10 to, years or more. I'm so, glad to hear you yeah. say that, Bob, because I thought the same thing about Zoom meetings and, and uh, um, you know, virtual uh, um, schooling and so on. Yeah. And, and look, think about, you know, online grocery delivery and digital ordering and I, all of this stuff was was really underway. Um, but the, the U.S. has really led the world in, in remote work. I, I, I think we've been remote for almost 14 years. And when we launched in London um, three or four years ago, we you know, we said we were going to have sort of flex remote work. I, people looked at us like we had four heads. And then I, I can see that starting to to, to, to then over the next couple of years, like, oh, people getting used to it, it was happening more. And now it's just been an accelerant. So I, I don't, you know, I know people, I don't think a lot of people say, I don't think there's any going back to how things were. I don't think that means, oh, there's not going to be any offices or anything. But I, I think this is a real fundamental change in terms of what, what people want, what companies need, and, and using this as a, a very logical point to think about um, what, you know, what, what does the workplace look like going forward? Because I do think it's going to be pretty different. Um, you know, we, we had this remote company for, for a long time. We won 30 different best places to work awards. I had a lot of friends and fellow CEOs who always said, this would never, remote work would never work for my company. It couldn't work, whatever. And then, you know, this is all, you know, the law of scarcity. And then they were forced to do it. And I'm not saying it was perfect, but it certainly wasn't, the disaster that they thought it would be. Um, so, it, you know, that stuff makes you challenge. These types of kind of big changes make you challenge a lot of your, your assumptions. Well, I've had uh, doctor's appointments that have been done online, um, yeah. which was something I I might not have considered, and and maybe the doctors wouldn't have considered it either prior to the pandemic, but when it was all done, you know, for a routine visit or consult, you know, it actually works very well. I The last time it, I had uh, an appointment, I, I was thinking to myself right after the appointment, this took up about 15 minutes. I didn't have to drive across town and back and sit in a waiting room for, you know, anywhere from, you know, five minutes to an hour, <laughs> depending on what's going on that day. And and I thought, this is wonderful. I I never would have believed that a year ago. I, I, look, I have had the same experience. And you know why that couldn't happen before? So this is a perfect example. Doctors, so, so we have a friend who's a pediatrician. She's been complaining for years that 50% of her time is spent on the phone with patients, talking to them, providing therapy, you know, basically... And, and it's totally unbillable. You know, the only thing that's billable for her is to come in the office. And so, again, you have these incentives to, well, come in the office. Because I, I understand if I'm a doctor, I don't want to get unpaid, <laughs> be unpaid for all the value that I'm, I'm providing. But I've had a couple of these appointments. Yeah, if you're bleeding out of the side of your head, you should go in. But a lot of them have said, oh, yeah, I can look at it. Here's what you should do. Like, what you needed was a conversation. What you didn't necessarily need was an appointment. But the default was just to come in. And I, I think I think it is 
look, I mean, going downtown to Boston, like, I think I, this is so much better for the doctors. It's so much better for the patients. And I think it will become the first step. Like, hey, set up a 15-minute Zoom call, and then we'll determine whether you need to come in. Um, and look, I'm seeing the bills. They're getting paid for it. But that was a huge change. You know, the, the whole Medicare community decided that that could be reimbursed. That's a change that I don't think is going back. And that is what prohibited um, doctors from doing this, was they couldn't actually make any money doing it. Right, right. But the, the the workplace, I had someone suggest to me something the the other day that, that I, we were actually talking about real estate and what was going to happen to um, office buildings that, you know, are basically going to be vacant if people continue to work from home. And they talked about sharing space. And I hadn't even considered that, you know, these, these situations where two people work part-time and one has the desk from on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the other one has it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then they switch the next week or whatever, that that was going to become a lot more normal. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, again, another trend that was kind of already happening, right? When you think about yeah. the biggest growth in real estate has been flex work, we work, fractional office spaces. Uh, people, people sort of sizing, you know, a 50 person office for a hundred person team. And so I, I don't, I think they're going to be offices, but I think people rethink them. There will be more effect space, maybe more conference rooms. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I think you'll, you'll, you won't design an office probably for a hundred percent of the, the people to be there. And I think you'll have a lot more of this office sharing and, and, and using of the real estate in a, in a smarter way. Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that, that again, another change that was already underway. It's just accelerated. I think anyone who has a lease now coming up is like, well, I don't need the full space. So, what, you know, what are what are my options? And, and and flex and sharing is certainly part of the solution. How has it? Um, how has productivity been overall throughout this last year? Ah, uh, so I think that be- <laughs> I think better than expected. Um, I, I, I've seen better productivity out of remote work in our experience. I, I think there's a lot of data that, that you know, the, the open office experiment has kind of been fully debunked at this point. Like people have determined the concept of not having closed door, you know, oak corner offices and management approachable is correct. But the, the notion of having everyone, people are wearing noise canceling headphones, like people are so distracted all day that and without any privacy that that it actually hurts productivity and they've shown that these open office environments are 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 less productive so people need quiet time to do work and i I, that is one of the things that flex works provide now with that said i said to anyone if you look if you were put in a remote work environment this year this is not a great remote work environment you might have your kids homeschooling you can't go do the stuff that the flexibility provided. You can't go to that spinning class with your friend at noon. You can't travel and work from a different location. So I, I, I think that while productivity of work is, has not been diminished from that, I think you know productivity from the pandemic and a lot of the mental health issues around it you know, have, have been hurt. People are, people are struggling, they're stressed, they're anxious, and, and I think that affects productivity just as much as the work environment does. You know, Bob, technology has has 
made it possible for people to basically work from wherever they are, whether it's with a uh, handheld yeah. device or, or a laptop. They could sit in a coffee shop and, you know, answer emails and, and actually write and send proposals. And, you know, there are all kinds of things that uh, people typically did in an office that they can do, you know, out in the woods, basically. Um, but there was a concern that because of that, people were working too much that, um, you know, they, they couldn't go out to dinner with friends and not take that call. It, it, yes. Is, so, that, is uh, there a similar thing going on with re remote work, with people, you know, that are starting to establish home offices that, you know, they get up in the middle of the night and walk down the hall to the office and, and end up working and they're not sleeping and they're not, you know, when we get back to where we can go out to dinner with our friends, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're not taking that time for themselves. Yeah, so so this is something I talk about in my new book that's coming out, How to Thrive in a Virtual Workplace. Uh, boundaries are like the number one issue. Uh, I, before, I'd say before the pandemic, I actually think people assumed people working from home were slacking off and doing personal things and not working. I think, as you said, people have found out that the opposite is true. People working from home have a really hard time separating boundaries. They, they you know, particularly if you're in a New York City apartment and you don't have an office to work at. I mean, we one of the things we've always focused on in remote work is setting people up both psychologically with a routine and making sure they have an office and making sure they're set up properly. So so this has been a huge issue. I think if you bring, I would say, if you if you keep your cell phone on, some of it people are doing to themselves. Like, I, I, you know, if you don't turn off the phone, if you bring the computer into bed, you're bringing your work literally into your bed. If you roll out of bed in the morning, grab your cell phone and look at it first thing. It's like someone took you in your pajamas and threw you into the office. So some of this is... <laughs> and it does feel this, like that, Bob. That isn't as, as, as silly as it sounds. But some of this is self-discipline. Look, for, for, for those of us that aren't in the life-saving business, uh, you know, when you drove to work, you weren't on the phone. You weren't reading email messages. I, I, that's one of the things that I really suggest to people is that they need this commute, right? They need the, that virtual commute in the morning, which looks like not having your phone in the room, not turning on your computer, getting up, doing some exercise, having your coffee, read the paper, like whatever your routine is, have your, start your work, schedule your breaks, and then shut down your work. Leave the computer in the office, leave the phone downstairs at night. Like it, it, it is, I, a lot of people's workplaces aren't telling them to do this. We're just addicted to our phones. We have our watches. It's the pickup. Like, I, I actually think this is more of a personal thing than the work environment dictating it. Like, it's on us to create, as employees, to create that separation. Um, I, I think more people are doing this to themselves than it is, like, the workplace is, is dictating it. Um, Bob, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk about this some more? Absolutely. All right. My guest is uh, Robert Glazer. He is uh, CEO of Accelerated Partners and one of the foremost experts on workplace productivity and well-being. We're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in 
uh, or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming this show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. 
where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is the CEO of Accelerated Partners and one of the foremost experts on workplace productivity and well-being. His name is Robert Glazer, and he's uh, joining me by phone. Bob, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Uh, no, it's all good. Just It's actually Acceleration Partners. Sorry, it happens a lot, but I uh, just, just wanted to correct that oh i'm i'm so sorry acceleration partners i'll make a note of that because it actually i just just want people to be able to find uh if they're interested in any of the materials that they can find it so thank you happy to happy to stay around Uh, yeah i was uh, um it it actually is uh printed out that way on a on a release i got from someone on your behalf yeah no i know (laughs) trying to fix that but yeah okay well i will try to remember that throughout um one of the, we've been talking about some of the impacts of uh, the pandemic and and how it's uh, encouraged or accelerated the um, uh, notion of of remote work and and people working from home offices. How has it impacted um, this this increase, albeit somewhat sudden? Um, between managers and their staffs and i'm saying staffs rather than employees i you know i i I, there are a lot of when we look at the companies that have transitioned to remote work really well there are companies that have fundamentally good management leadership systems trust (laughs) accountability and and, and i think what this done is a little bit has taken the you know the the water goes out and, and you see who's wearing their bathing suits i think companies that didn't have good training, you know, had micromanagers, all of these things, they have not translated very well to a, a remote environment. Um, one of the things that I think has been hardest for managers and leaders and something that they need to um, really like switch is, is moving from input management to output management. Like knowing that setting the outcomes and goals and not getting as focused on what people are doing and how they're doing, but, but, what the outcomes they're achieving. Look, we understand this in sales, right? We, 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 do we, do we prefer the salesperson who makes a hundred calls in a day and gets a thousand dollars in sales or makes two calls a day uh, and gets $10,000 in sales? Uh, I, I think in other functions, we haven't defined the outcome and are managing to the outcome and managing to inputs in a hard, or, or, or if you're used to just managing by watching people in their seats as, as a, <laughs> a manner of productivity, that that doesn't really work well in this environment. Yeah, that that person doesn't look busy. Yeah, and so what happens? You know, that manager, you know, who manages that way, does not trust their employees. Then, when their employees aren't in the room, that manager has even more trust issues. Then they start probably, you know, where they're the ones who think it's a great idea to get, you know, computer tracking software to track their mouse movements and. And then that employee goes and buys a thing on Amazon that moves their mouse. Like this is 
<laughs> some productivity game like that like if you're in this cat if you're asking your, if you're not in like regulated financial services and you're putting a lot of time into monitoring your employee behavior and otherwise you are just focused on the wrong things with the we've been talking a lot about um primarily professionals people who work in offices and then we're able to through technology just take that work home with them um but yeah. what about some of the the other kinds of work how has pandemic um influenced other areas now we we know there have been big changes in restaurants and and some of those will continue some of yeah. them will go back to the way they were before entertainment and sports has certainly been impacted and um and and may in many ways come back to the way it was before but yet even in those areas they've had to come up with different things but what about people who do i don't know home improvement um yeah you know other kinds I, of work yeah i mean it's interesting like uh, it, it's it's affected a lot of things so um personal trainers right and people who teach yoga classes and that sort yeah. of stuff You've, you've seen them say, look, I, I used to need to get, you know, 10 people in a class paying $30. What might it look like to get 100 people paying $3 in a remote class? And now I don't need to find people within a five-mile radius. They can be anywhere. Uh, I'm on the board of a nonprofit that sort of its keystone event was this local competition, and they did them in three markets. Well, they turned it into a virtual event this year and literally made it global. Um, so that, you know, instead of having, you know, a couple hundred people come and who buy tickets, they're trying to get thousands of people around the world, you know, on this thing. So I, I, I yeah, I mean, I think like plumbers, tradesmen, that stuff has not changed too much, I think. But if you think about like, well, now that everyone's more digital, what are they looking for? They might be looking for a, Hey, where's your truck? And are you five minutes away? Or can I pay you in Venmo? I, you know, it may be more tangential to, or can I book you, you know, to come on a slot on my phone? It, it, it may be more tangential with some of the changes to digital, but, but yeah, I mean, there are aspects of this that I think affect every business. I look, we're in digital marketing. And so I tell our team, if we're, if we're doing the same thing we're doing in five years, like we're out of business. I, I, I think, you know, plumbing is not going to change until there are robots that do plumbing. But, but I think, you know, people might get really annoyed and say, look, I'm going to book the plumber who I can book online and see a schedule. And it tells me when he's coming. And it reminds me, like, I prefer that to chasing down, you know, the old fashioned plumber who hasn't even figured out how to use a cell phone or text. So that is where consumer preferences really can even have an impact on a, you know, something where the fundamental service has not changed. Well, the pandemic brought about a huge learning curve for a lot of people with regard to technology. I remember a year ago when the stay-at-home orders first started coming out state by state, um, I remember watching network news broadcasts where the anchors were, you, you know, uh, skyping in from their basements with whatever gear they had on their laptop it was pretty rough for a couple of weeks before they got some good gear in and you know up the right. quality and and everyone has gone through that um getting to know zoom and other platforms for uh you know face-to-face -face meetings online 
Um, but with the um, technology, some people have really struggled with yeah. with that. And I guess what where I'm going with this, Bob, is what are some of the things that people need to do going forward to more align themselves with the direction that work, productivity, service, all of these things are going? I, I think this is a historical thing more of you need to constantly have some portion of yourself that's outside your comfort zone. I think those people who struggled the most were ones that never touched it, never looked at it, said, I'm never going to do this. Like, you know, they're like, I don't want to deal with restaurant delivery. I'm not even going to talk to the people. And then, boom, there's no other way to deliver your revenue if you don't have delivery. And suddenly, like, necessity is the mother of all invention. But you're starting from from behind. So all businesses and people need to have an R&D component to what they do. They need to be trying new things. They need to test things like, you know, like right now, like, I don't understand this non-fungible token thing that's going around, but I'm trying to because people are selling stuff for millions of dollars <laughs> and I, you can laugh at it and you can shrug it off, but like something's going on there that it would be wise for me to understand it. And if my business can serve that market. So I, you can't keep, you know, you can't keep yourself head in the sand. I think as a business owner, as I like to say, and, and although someone called me out on this and sent me a link to one, but they're not like, if you are the best horse and buggy, you know, business in America, repair shop, like you, you don't have a really big market. <laughs> there's probably, there's one in, someone sent me one, there's one in like Pennsylvania, Amish country, there's some in Texas, but like if you, you know, that doing something well means adapting, looking around and, and, and this forced people to do it. I think, you have a whole generation now of, of, you know, grandparents that know how to use FaceTime and Zoom because they want to see their grandkids and, and they know how to order groceries online. So now that they're more comfortable with those technologies, like their, their purchasing behavior might change. And, and, and I, I think people need to adapt to that. So if you're, not, if you're not doing something regularly in your business that's a little outside of your comfort zone, you are much more likely to be blindsided by a, a change and a change that was accelerated with, with an event like a global pandemic. You gave a really good example, Bob, talking about the, uh, the fitness or, or yoga trainer that, you know, had, had uh, made their bones with, with people in classes, um, you know, paying a hundred dollars a pop for 30 people or something. And then, um, yeah. And then changing that to, you know, $3 for a thousand people, you know, that they could do online. But for people that are making that adjustment or willing to make that adjustment or curious, what are the things that they need to do and know in order to make that change? Uh, they, I think they just need, they need to question their own assumptions. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, because there's so many different things you would need to know. So if it was a fitness person, let's say, and I've seen this, like, I think they need to learn about the platforms that are out there and, and look at the digital platforms and see if they work for them. And do they have the type of interaction they want with their clients? And I mean, I've been doing physical therapy online and stuff that, as you said, it will probably go half and half back in person. Like the first appointment was good in person, but when he was just checking in with me and I showed him what I was doing and my range of motion, he was able to like, Help me online. He he made more money by not having to drive to my house and drive back and 
and you know I saved you know some time too, and it was just as convenient for me. So I, I think you need to um, be exploring in your domain. I don't I don't think there's some general knowledge that you need, but if you're in an industry, you should be looking at the innovative people in the industry and and see the types of things that they're doing. And if you're not ready to do them, you should play around with them or understand them because sometimes it just <laughs> comes in much faster. I mean, I go back to the restaurant delivery thing. Like it was very, you know, people that had just never even had a conversation with a DoorDash or any of these places or weren't even started. They were way behind like versus the, the firms that had, you know, maybe used it sparingly and could, could ramp it up and just had never even explored the concept of, of delivery before. And look at delivery is an example going forward. Delivery is going to be a baseline or like outside of store pickup. I think is going to stay as a baseline requirement of all customers. People have loved the pull up. My, my hardware store in my town, you couldn't go in, so they set up a table in front of the store. There's six people there. You tell them what you need. They come out within two minutes and charge you. Like, I like it. I think it's, I think it's a better experience. <laughs> so, you know, than, or I order it online. I go pick it up at the table. So there's an example where I don't think that that is a consumer preference that is going away. I think any business needs to design that into their model. Oh, no, I agree. I, I guess what I'm thinking of are, are the people who, you know, decide, wow, things are really changing and I need to be part of this. And, and they get a camera and they're all set up and they're all ready. Yeah. They've got content <laughs> and, and they start their thing. They even have a platform to do it on. Yeah. But then how do they reach people? Are there, is this a matter of, of you know, trolling um, YouTube uh, how-to videos or oh you're saying how do they get how do they get like how do they get customers yeah how yeah. does how does that yoga instructor go from 30 people to 300 people yeah so so there's a book out there called a thousand raving fans and I think it applies in here and that what you're really looking for is so knowing your customer is important I think this has showed why direct to consumer the restaurant who knew their customers when this pandemic started and had their emails and had a loyalty program and could email them and say here's everything we're doing please come order from us was better than the restaurant who had no idea who their customers was so in that case I think you know if I think about the yoga the, the person reached out to the people that took the classes they said hey I'm doing this online they said hey why don't you invite a friend or here's an offer you can share it um, and, and, and then they put it on something public like Facebook where afterwards so people could see it. So I, I think you're trying to reach people one-on-one. -on -one. You're trying to encourage them to, to share it and build an audience. I don't think you want to go start go advertising. I think you want to work through the people that know you best, get them involved. And look, I like referral programs and things where you get your best customers and advocates to bring other people to your business. I think I think referral programs are the most one of the most underused aspects of marketing, and that's marketing where you're paying whatever you're offering as a reward. You're not paying for it until you get the new customer. So if you say, look, you know, you get you get a free online class for every person you bring to my online class. You you know you you only pay that upon getting getting the result. So I, I like those types of sort of work from your inner core of your your biggest fans, your biggest customers see what you can do to make sure they have a good experience. They share it on their social media, their mechanisms, and they invite people in their network who have similar preferences to, to come in. A, a lot of people found themselves, um, you know, all of a sudden working from home. And, you know, here, here in Michigan, we 
have a thing that pops up periodically called a snow day. And yeah. that's that's where the snow gets so bad people can't get from A to B, and so everybody takes a day off. And yeah. they're, they're somewhat coveted. Uh, but it also becomes kind of a natural reaction, and I think in the in the in the first couple of weeks of this a year ago, there were a lot of people who initially thought, "Oh wow, this is like a snow day," and then all of a sudden found themselves, "Wait a minute, how is it that you know I'm I'm stuck at home, and I still have to work? <laughs> how do how do you yeah. keep you know employees working remotely from falling into the malaise of?" You know, I'm I'm stuck at home. I can't do the things that I want to do, and I still have to do the work. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. As I said, we've been remote for 14 years. It was never about being remote. It was about a flexibility. And as I said before, we're very outcome focused. So we say, look, we have an we have an environment of accountability and flexibility. If you get done what you need to get done, and you are hitting the performance targets, like. I don't care if you sled with your kids for three hours in the afternoon, right? You, you right. get to, you get to control that and, and make your variables. So that, that's a big part of the culture that, that I, I think it just goes back to before, like stop focusing on the time and focusing on, on the outcomes. If you can define what good outcomes and you can find employees, if that salesperson knows the two people to call in a day and closes $10,000 and the other one's calling a hundred and working 10 hours a day at 2000, like I don't want to reward the second one, <laughs> I want to reward the first one. So I, I, our, our, it, I, I, to me, this is about creating a culture of flexibility and accountability. Here's what needs to get done. We all agree to that. I'm trusting you to do it in the way you want to. I'm not going to micromanage your time and your energy. And frankly, you should do the things that bring enjoyment to your life. Because I think that people that are happier and more fulfilled are more productive at, at, at work. I'm when I hear that people are training for a marathon or they're, they need time to go work out or they want to go to the gym, like I, I, I'm like 200% in favor of that. Like I, I, I'm happy when someone says, I can't do that meeting at one because that's my, you know, that's my soul cycle class. I mean, that to me means they're prioritizing some, some balance and health in their life. I remember talking with, um, uh, was it, um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the the big company that he uh, that he founded, um, Atari, Atari founder uh, Nolan oh, Bushnell, yeah. when he wrote his book Finding the Next Steve Jobs, um, and he talked. That's a hard title. It's a hard task. Yeah. Well, and 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 he talked about uh, businesses were going about it wrong because it was so resume based and not necessarily interest interest and passion focused you know get to know the people you're interviewing don't have them you know just explain to you you know their achievements um talk about their interests and and the things that make them tick and 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 it was it was somewhat unorthodox what he was saying is that big companies had it all wrong in the way they interviewed and recruited people and and you're an advocate of some unorthodox business practices like the no fire rule yeah uh, and, and 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 just to be clear so so there are very few cases we in our 14 years i think we've had to terminate three people and those were all issues of of uh i would say fidelity in some way or integrity in some way shape or form um but but 
yeah, I mean, one of the things that we have tried to do is acknowledge that people are not going to work at companies forever. Even the best companies that win best places to work every year or Google or Facebook, they have like a 1.8 year average tenure um, and change this dialogue of when, you know, think about sports, like there's a contract and you reassess it and sometimes you, you get a raise and sometimes you don't and you decide you just want different things. I think there's this assumption that it goes on forever, even though we know that that's not the reality. So we have a, what we call a career transition program. You know, our goal is to eliminate two weeks notice and start open conversation. So if people aren't happy, they think they want to do something else, they can start a conversation. And our promise is they will not be walked to the door. We will help them find a new job. We'll start that transition. We'll start looking for their replacement. They can start looking for a job and we'll put some time around that and they can be a productive member of our alumni. And that's, you know, we're not going to, you know, the worst thing is, is when someone leaves with, with, with no note. I just think this paradigm of two weeks notice is a ton of distrust. The, the, the employer, you know, either, either the employer goes to the employee and says, look, you're out of here and here's two weeks severance. Or, you know, the employee, you know, goes to the uh, employer and says, I'm leaving in two weeks or a week or a day. And the boss is like, oh, now I see you had all these doctors appointed. Like, now, now there's an acknowledgement that they've been kind of lying and not doing their best work. And there's, there's just some resentment. So our philosophy is like, why can't we be honest? So we'll go to an employee and we'll say, look, we've tried this. It doesn't seem to be working. You know, we can do, you know, a, a performance improvement plan, but these things don't work. We think that you're not in the right role and let us, if it's not in our company, let's, let's, let's find it. And, and why don't you start looking for that and let's work on a transition plan where we can help you. And then similarly, we really encourage those open conversations. They can come to us and say, I think I want to do something else. And we'll say, okay, you know, we're in client service. So we'd much rather have time to, to, to ramp up a new person. Uh, and, and that we have people working here right now that are on transitions. We know they're not going to be with us in a month or two. And it's no different than a, an athlete you know, who's playing out a contract and trying to win with the team, but they know that they're going to sign somewhere else next year. I just, I think it's changing the narrative and the expectation into this very like taboo, uncomfortable, like ending where, where someone has to leave someone and it's about who left who. Um, so we're not always winning that war, but we're trying to change it. Um, and I would think it'd, it'd be a little tougher during the, uh, during the pandemic, especially for some businesses that ran into financial problems. And, and I want to talk about this and, and a couple of other things, but I have a break coming up here in about a minute and a half. Bob, can you stick around and do another uh, short segment? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't have to go right this minute, um, but uh, I, I wanted to make sure we were set up to, to continue. Um, but I would think that that businesses, especially, and and we saw this with restaurants on the evening news, that were closing their doors and laying off employees, and and they they just didn't have a choice. Yeah, uh, and 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 look again, some made some made different decisions around. We're going to dive into. I don't want to do delivery, but we're going to dive in. We're going to do this because it's going to keep our uh it's going to keep our, our our people busy so some didn't have a choice and the question is you know whether they were honest with people I, I but that is that is a you know once in a hopefully century sort of existential crisis I, I i i think but there's also how you handle that did you handle that with good communication empathy honesty transparency or not because that has a ongoing impact for, for your organization 
and, and then, but, but I, I think more what we're talking about is how organizations handle this on a day-to-day basis, right? It, it's the surprise factor of the employee finds out they don't have a job or the employer finds out they don't have an employee and no one really wanted to, ha- there wasn't the psychological safety to have those harder discussions before, um, before it came to that. And then there's, there's a lot of hard feelings after that. Okay, we're up on the break now, but my guest is uh, Robert Glazer from Acceleration Partners, and we'll have Hi, more right after Bye, this is Joe Bass from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources.
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is uh, Robert Glazer, CEO of Acceleration Partners and uh, an expert on workplace productivity and well being. Bob, welcome back. Thanks again for sticking around. Bob, did I lose you? Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks for letting me stick around. Was that was that a uh, a mute gaff? That was a mute. That was a mute gaff. So, uh, <laughs> I run into that occasionally. <laughs> that's that's why I wondered. Um, but we were talking about uh, uh, some unorthodox business practices and and how they may have been uh, thwarted a little bit during the pandemic but but also the pandemic provided an opportunity to really put unorthodox work practices uh in motion isn't yeah. it yeah and 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 yeah everyone had to change and and like i said it's i, I don't think we do enough uh to challenge our assumptions on a regular basis and then oftentimes something happens that that challenges those assumptions and and we we learn some new things like we say hey this 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 turns just a lot of people that would never work at my company or this would never work at their company but there's not really a basis for that <laughs> there's not a proven basis for that that opinion so uh I, again we've had a lot of people say that look i this two weeks this wouldn't work and i said just try it before you sit down and have a discussion with someone who you know is not going to work out and, and, and put them on a performance improvement plan. Like, what do you have to lose by trying a different strategy and saying, look, I don't think this is going to work out. Like, how can we help you find a, a new job? And most of the notes I get back from people saying, wow, that went a lot better than I could have imagined. You know, Bob, you, um, one of the, one of your core values is, uh, not only finding better ways to do things, but then sharing those things with other people. That's kind of a, a two-way street. If we get away from this notion that that our ideas are proprietary and think about sharing with people, it's easier to find new ideas for us, too, isn't it? Yeah, and you get feedback. I mean, what what is the point of... Uh... I, again, outside of a company that is trying to monetize a patent or something, but when you think about like, I've heard different versions of success or impact is sort of what you know raised to the who you know. Um, if you have something brilliant, but no one knows about it or can benefit from it, then it doesn't it doesn't do much good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, so think about a company that no one knows about. People will say, oh, well, there's a company that does this, but no one knows about them. I'm like, well, that's not super helpful if you're that business. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you being a being a well-kept secret, you want to be a 
not well kept secret. So yeah, I've always enjoyed that if I figured out something that I feel like could add value that that and a lot of that is how we do our business, not not related to what we do. Um, I, I, I've openly shared those ideas with other business leaders. I, I think business and leadership are, are one of our biggest forces for change. And so better leaders and better, well, more well-run companies, uh, I, I think, have a societal impact. So I'm happy to help wherever I can in that in that mission. Yeah, and and I as we talked about in the last segment, I I think your uh, no fire rule is is a really good one where uh, companies and employees can both be honest with each other if if they think for some reason that it isn't turning out to be a good fit, the idea that the company would help that person relocate to a new job without letting them go or summarily firing them you know, having security, you know, <clears throat> stand there, excuse me, while they're cleaning out their desk and walk them to the parking lot, yes. as, as has been done in so many companies for so many years, is, um, is, is really a good one. Yeah, here's the irony. And, and, and honestly, co- companies do this sort of performance improvement plan documentation on someone they know is going to work out and they want to get rid of to prevent themselves from having liability and it does nothing to prevent from liability. Liability and lawsuits come from people feeling disrespected. And so if they feel like you set them up to fail or put them on a performance plan or performance plan, knowing the end game and all that stuff, it, it actually doesn't achieve your goal of then having an honest and respectful transition with that person and saying, Tom, you are a great person. You are, uh, you know, you, you, everyone likes you. You are not succeeding in your job here. I don't see a path to do it. I don't think it's a good fit for you. So let's talk about how to get you into a better place. Uh, you know, that is less likely to end up in a lawsuit than, hey, Tom, I need to put you on this performance improvement plan. You're not doing well. You're doing a terrible job. Uh, and, and then I, I, I want you to do poor, I, I actually want you to not succeed under that plan. So then I can terminate you and say, see, you justified why we can terminate you. Like, it doesn't matter that you check the HR block. People sue. There's a lot of data on this around listening to patient conversations with doctors. Uh, and, and the ones that get sued were, were not the ones that made the most mistakes. They're the ones that the people listening on the calls determined had the least amount of empathy. Well, Bob, I can't believe how fast the time is going, and I appreciate you spending this much time and sharing your thoughts and and ideas. Uh, What I would like to do, and I I do this with all the guests, is give you an opportunity uh, very quickly to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, about Acceleration Partners and your newsletter, Friday Forward, and so on. Sure. Uh, yeah, everything is at Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R dot com. Uh, you can learn about business, Friday Forward. Uh, I also have a new course that uh, companies are using to help people understand their personal uh, core values. So you can check that all out, and it's all, all in one place. Well, Bob, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Tom. Take care. Again, that was uh, CEO of Global Marketing Agency Acceleration Partners, Robert Glazer, who is one of the foremost experts on workplace productivity and well-being. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Welcome. 
welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila oh the day they met Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila no one will forget Harvey's a CPA he works for IBM he went to MIT and got his PhD. <laughs> Sheila's a girl I know at BBDNO. She works the PBX and makes out the checks. Then came one great day when Harvey took the elevator. Sheila got into floors later. Soon they both felt they were falling. Everyone heard Sheila calling. Ring the bell, but they fell. Harvey and Sheila fell in love. Harvey and Sheila Harvey, and Sheila Harvey, and Sheila chose a wedding ring. Harvey, and Sheila Harvey, and Sheila Harvey, and Sheila married in the spring. She shopped at A&P, he bought a used MG. They sat and watched TV on their RCA. Borrowed from HFC, bought some AT&T, and on election day, worked for JFK. Then they went and got a charger plate from R.H. Macy, bought a lay at Pink and Lacey. Then they had twin baby girls, both with dimples, both with curls, one named B, one named K. Soon they joined the PTA. <laughs> Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila moved to West LA. Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila Harvey and Sheila flew TWA. They bought a house one day, financed by FHA. It had a swimming pool full of H2O. Traded their used MG for a new XKE. Switched to the GOP, that's the way things go. Oh, that Harvey, he was really smart. He used his noodle, Sheila bought a white French poodle. Went to Europe with a visa. Harvey's rich, they say that he's a VIP. This could be only in the USA. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Passion Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>